Father, we just want to hear your voice. We want to recognize the friend that you long to be to us. Transform our hearts. Teach us how to walk more closely with you. Fill our hearts with love for you, we pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Leah and I got married in 2007. A couple years later, we had been on the road doing a, a ministry team called the Youth Evangelism Team. After two years of doing that, we were sent off to Michigan to go to the seminary where I was going to take my Master's of Divinity and she was going to take her theology degree. So we'd been married two and a half years at that point in time, almost, almost three years. And we got to Andrews, and we were there at Andrews, and, and you know, up until that point, we were pretty sure we do not want to have kids. We're going to do everything possible to avoid that, and we're just not ready for that. And then we began to pray about it. As we're at Andrews, we're thinking about when's the right timing. Not while we're at school, we we've we've got nothing. I mean, at pastoring, you don't make a whole lot, but at school, you make even less. So we uh, we said this isn't the right timing. But when we got to the end of our time there, and we got we were both graduating. We began to pray about this, and we said, okay, I think the time is coming. We're going to move to California. We're going to get settled into one church, and I think the time has come where we should go ahead and have kids. And we worked in youth ministry, and I mean, you, you, you find people who, who have kids really easily, more easily than they intend all the time. And you're like, okay, having kids must be the simplest thing in the world. But apparently it's not, because... Month by month by month by month went by and no kids. Two years went past. Two and a half years. We'd been at Modesto for two and a half years when we're like, okay, it was a really difficult thing, especially for my wife. I mean, for me, I hadn't yet really appreciated what holding a baby was like. But for her, she was really craving to have a child. So... She said, can, I, can we go to the doctor? And we, we're going to figure out what's going on. So she went to the doctor and she said, okay, here's this medication. You take this medication and 80% of, of people that take this medication will have, have a baby within six months afterwards. And so she took the medication and months went by, two months went by, three months, six months went by. And she's like, okay, I know it's going to happen this time because... God's like that. You know, he just shows up at the very end and, and it'll be this exciting testimony of what God has done and no baby. But God had given her some amazing promises and, and that's one of the reasons I want to encourage you just to every day go to your Bible and listen to Jesus because it encourages you for the stuff that you walk through in life. She'd been given Psalm chapter 113 and verse 9 that says, He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. And she just kept clinging to that promise. I know that God's going to fulfill this to me. But at that point, we moved to Templeton and another year went by, another year went by. And still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled in our lives. Do you know what it's like to be impotent? To not be able to accomplish your purpose in life. You know, we're called to love. We're called to live a life that bears fruit for Jesus. We're called to be loving people, to have loving relationships with God and with other people. And yet, we are really impotent. We really uh, fall short of that all the time. 
for us, it felt like all the odds were stacked against us. We kept finding out more things, going to different doctors, and this doctor didn't work out, so we're going to that doctor. And it felt like all the odds were stacked against you. But I have good news for you tonight. If you feel like your whole life the odds have been stacked against you, if you feel like you just are impotent to be able to love, you have an amazing Savior. Check this out. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Now I actually need you for this first part to pull out the pew Bible in front of you if you didn't bring your own Bible and look at Luke chapter 18. So one day I woke up with Jesus and I was reading through Luke chapter 18 and I read it and I was just noticing the flow of how he puts together the stories. If you look in one gospel or you look in another gospel, they put a different order to it for a purpose. They want you to grasp different things as you read through the story of Jesus. So I just want you to, to tell me some of the, the main stories that you see, starting with, you know, just read the, 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 uh, the bold print, you know, the, the titles for the section, starting in verse 9. What's that first story, verse 9? Parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you know what happens in that story? That's where the two of them, they go up to worship, they go to the temple, and they go there to worship together, and the Pharisee, he gets over... And he prays by himself and he says, God, thank you that I am not like that tax collector. And the tax collector's like, won't even look up to heaven. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So in this story, uh, we see see a couple of things. Uh, We see one that uh, tax collectors were looked at as people that didn't have any right to come to God, who weren't seen as a a good uh, potential for knowing Jesus. We also see that pride is a big hindrance because the Pharisee is the one who walks out of there not justified while the tax collector was. Okay, what's the next story? Does somebody see the next bold headline in your Bible? Jesus blesses the little children. Jesus blesses the little children. Okay, so we're looking at hindrances, things that hold us back from Jesus. What, what held the little children from Jesus? Disciples. The disciples. Mercy. Right, so, so they're too small. Can we say that, right? They're too small. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus doesn't have time for you. You're, you're little kids, you're little babies. Jesus has got no time for this. I just want to tell you, especially you young people, that sometimes it can be the older folks who get in the way of you coming to Jesus. Or maybe just any of us in the church. It might be other church members who hold us back from coming to Jesus. Don't let that stop you from coming to Jesus. Right? Don't look at people, but look at Jesus. Because you look at what Jesus, how how He talked to the disciples, He was not having it. He's like, look, let those kids come to me. All right, what's the next story about? The next bold print there. The rich young ruler. Okay, what did he have that was a hindrance for him coming and staying with Jesus? Yeah. His money, right? He had tons of money. He had fame. He had wealth. His riches held him back from Jesus. And he walked away sorrowful. Now, I love this story because the disciples are like, oh man, if the, if the rich young ruler could not come to you, Jesus, then who has the opportunity? And Jesus says, hey, it's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. It's impossible. And they're like, oh no, then who could be saved? And Jesus says this. He says, with men... It is impossible. Have you got that yet? Have you got that? Mm -hmm. With men it's impossible. Uh, Until we get that, we've got a problem. 
But if we don't get the second half of the verse, we've also got a problem. First of all, we need to know with men it is impossible. We're impotent. But then we also need to know that with God, all things are possible. Jesus says with men it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. We talked about last night, the, the, the foundational thing is to get with Jesus, because without him we can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's what we want to talk about this week, is how do we connect to that source of power? Okay, so, so we see, first of all, we've got a tax collector, right? Then we have those who are too small who are being kept back from Jesus. Then we have somebody, his, his own riches kept him back from Jesus, And now we're going to skip down and we're going to look at one more story, the last story in this chapter. What's the last headline that you see in your your Bible? A blind man receives his sight, all right? Now, if you remember this story, this story is where blind Bartimaeus, he's on the side of the road and he begins to cry out because he hears that Jesus is coming. There's two things keeping him back from Jesus, his blindness and what else? It's up on, yeah, it's the people. They're like, hey. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Be quiet. Don't, don't, don't shout so loudly about Jesus. Don't get so excited about Jesus. You need, to, you need to calm down. But he keeps on crying out, and Jesus calls him to himself. All right. So a lot of times we read one chapter, and we put our Bible down, and then the next day we pick it up, and we don't think about what's coming next. But check this out. Okay, so, so these are, are different stories where each of these people had these different hindrances, but check out the next story right after this. Luke is intentionally putting this all together, and you can erase the chapter separations because Luke didn't think about that. That wasn't there until much later on. So, so watch the next story that comes after this, right? So Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus, and we're going to see some parallels here that are very intentional. Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. He's on his way to Jerusalem for his last time. He's on the way to the cross. He's passing through Jerusalem, through Jericho. Verse 2. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. All right. Are you seeing any parallels to what those previous stories were so far? What do you see? He's, he's rich. And he's a tax collector. And he's not just any tax collector. What kind of tax collector is he? He's the chief. He's it. He's the chief. He's the the top tax collector. He's been successful as a tax collector. Now he's got all these tax collectors under him. He's the worst of the worst of the tax collectors, you might say. And he's really rich. Right? So here we see that he's the chief tax collector. And he's really rich. You already picked out both of those. All right, now let's keep going and let's see what else it tells us right after this. And Luke's being really intentional here and what he points out about him. Verse 3, and he sought to what? To see who Jesus was. And we talked about, that's what we need, is to stay. Mary came and she stayed at the tomb until she could see Jesus. And Jesus stopped on the way to heaven because she's waiting for him. And he wanted to see who Jesus was. But notice what happens but could not because of the crowd, right? So what are you seeing here? Can he see Jesus? No, right? So the crowd is blocking his view of Jesus. He's blinded by the crowd. The crowd's not letting him get there. And Man, I would have been following Jesus a lot more closely in high school if it weren't for the crowd, to be honest. 
And even as an adult, I think I would follow Jesus a lot more closely sometimes if it weren't for the crowd around me that distracts me, that blinds me from seeing Jesus. We get distracted by people. What we need to look at is Jesus. It's that personal time. You know, coming to church is a vital part of our relationship with Jesus. It helps us to see Jesus. But if you don't have that personal time, that one-on-one time with Jesus, then then we're missing everything. We're not going to be able to see Jesus because of the crowd. Okay, but that's not all. Notice, it continues. The verse continues. It says, he's not able to see it because of the crowd, for he was, what's the next part? He was of short stature. Oh man, when I first saw this, it blew my mind. Do you see that that this guy has all the odds stacked against him? He's the chief tax collector. He's too short. He's rich. The crowd blocks his view. He's got all the odds stacked against him. There's no way this guy's going to see Jesus. It's all against him. But the story doesn't end there. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. He says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to see Jesus. And any person who's doing that, any person who says, I'm going to do whatever it takes to see Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to show up for you. A lot of times, we already heard that, he shows up to those who aren't even looking for him. But you can guarantee, if you look for Jesus... He's going to show up for you. Verse 5. Let's look first at at, at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Notice Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, Therefore we also, so, so you and I also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run. How? with endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, sometimes we tend to focus in on the fact that we need to throw some things aside, we need to run with endurance, but I believe that the key to all of that comes as this verse continues. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author, so so he's the one that, that starts it all, the author, and he's the finisher of our faith. And when we look to him, our faith will be started and it will be finished. Amen. He's the beginning and the end. He is absolutely everything that you need. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says, Of Him you are in Christ Jesus who has made to you wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What more do you need but Jesus? Jesus is absolutely everything. He is the gift of gifts. And when He lives in your heart, that is everything. He's the way. He's the truth. He is the life. And if our religion doesn't have that, then we're missing everything because we're missing Jesus. So, verse 5 continues. I love this. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. Can you imagine? There's Zacchaeus. He's up in the tree. I mean, he's in his rich robes. He's climbing a tree like a child. And Jesus just looks up at him and said to him, Zacchaeus, He knows his name. He knows his circumstances. He knows who he is. He's not ignorant that this guy's the chief tax collector, that he's he's too short, that he's got all these issues in his life, that he's a sinner. He knows him. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. I want to be friends with you, Zacchaeus. 
I, I want to be friends with you. The one that has all the obstacles, all the barriers, everything keeping you from me. I want to be friends with you. I choose you. And Jesus chooses you tonight. John chapter 15. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant doesn't know what their master is doing, but all things that the, that the Father has done, I'm making known to you. I have called you friends. I call you friends. So, we'll fast forward, and sometime you've got to have Leah come tell the story, because it's, it's much more personal and powerful for her. God gave me promises. He gave me Psalm 147 and verse 13 that says, He strengthens the bars of your gates. He makes your children a blessing within you. Because I was thinking about having children. I'm like, hey, maybe God doesn't want us to have children because this world's getting to be a crazy place. You know, it's scary to have kids. But God said, look, I'm going to protect those kids and I'm going to make them a blessing to this world. I said, okay, we'll keep moving forward. To make a long story short, we ended up having to do a process called IVF in order to have kids. But we knew for a fact that they had put one embryo into my wife because of having gone through IVF. So we knew that we had the possibility of having one child. And so we went and saw this ultrasound, and you can see there up on the screen, there's this tiny little heartbeat. I can't tell you how happy I was to see this tiny little flicker of light on the screen. To know that there's a life being formed inside of my wife. Well, I went off on that trip to Israel where I got to walk down the Via Della Rosa. And I'm there in Israel, and, and, and we had some, some real scary times there uh, where my wife thought she was losing the baby. And I thought, after all this, how could that happen? Well, I come back from Israel, go to camp meeting, and I'm there at camp meeting, and she goes down for another ultrasound. Thankfully, she didn't lose the baby. She goes down for another ultrasound, and she's looking at the ultrasound, and she says, Doctor, what's that? <laughs> or actually, she was, actually, it wasn't the doctor. It was, it was a um, physician's assistant. She said, well, what is that? What's, what's that, that other gray spot there? So that? Uh, I'm not sure. Let's call in the doctor. That's a twin. Do you know what the probability is of having identical twins? It's 0.45%. Right? So, this wouldn't have happened if we had kids 250 times out of one. Right? It was one out of 250 chance. Uh, some studies maybe show that when you're doing IVF, you might have a 0.95% chance. So, that's one out of 100. Would you bet if you had one in 100 odds? <laughs> but God knew the right time, the right place, the right children... And he blessed us with these incredible little beauties, Abby and Olivia, that have stolen my heart, and now I cannot imagine my life without them. They are such incredible joys. Now, in talking to people who are identical twins, I found out something. And, and, and sometimes when people are regular twins too, this is true, but especially of identical twins, they always use the same phrase. They said, look, it's like having a built-in best friend. You just, you become best friends because that's just the way it works. What does it take for friendship? Why do twins become built-in best friends? Why do they become such good friends? What was it? They're together in the womb? Well, what, what makes for friendship? 
Relationship? What was it? They have things in common. They have common experiences. Yeah, all these are right answers, right? They were together in the womb and ever since then. So they've always been together. They've, they've spent so much time together and they've shared so many experiences in life. There's conversation that goes on between the two. And it's the same with Jesus. You want to make friends with Jesus? Take time with Jesus. Have conversation with Jesus. And, and a good friend of mine, Pastor Lee Vendon, he, he emphasizes the three-legged stool, he calls it, or the practical parts of our religion. You know, we have all the truth, we have all these other things about religion, but there's three tangible things. That is, to read your Bible. Not just reading it to study your Sabbath school lesson, that's good too, but to read it looking for Jesus and His love for you. To listen to His voice as a friend. The second part, so what's the first part? Read, Read the Bible. Second part, to pray. Right? So you're listening to his voice and you're talking to him. If you have a best friend, you talk to him multiple, you probably talk to that person several times a day sometimes. Amen. At least if you're in the younger generation. You're probably texting, texting that person all the time. And then you want to share experiences with Jesus. And Jesus is all about serving others right he's all about saving the lost he's all about ministering to the needs of people he says if you've done it on the least of these you've done it unto me so number one read your bible number two pray and number three serve and share that's those are the tangible things of friendship with jesus now there was this lady that i went out to michigan i was speaking uh for a a class there in michigan and i was riding along uh and she told me that she is an identical twin and she's probably in her uh, 60s i'd guess and she said yeah it's like having a built-in best friend she said it's so amazing in fact if i were on the titanic and i had to choose between my husband and my twin I choose my twin just I love my husband to death but I'd have to choose my twin just because it's such a close relationship that you can't replace. And then we're driving I know that's what I said man that's a little scary right? <laughs> well anyway we but, but as we're driving along the phone rings and guess who it is? It's her twin. And I could tell they she said I said how often do you talk and her friend lives in Australia and she said we talk multiple times Every single day, they are close friends. You know somebody's close when they talk multiple times every day. And so she says, uh, yeah, this is, this is, guess what? This guy that's riding with me, he just found out that he's going to have identical twins. Their sister's like, no way. It's like having a built-in best friend. And then she goes on to say, if I were on the Titanic, you never get... And I said, I, I, I'm guessing that you would choose your twin over your, your husband, right? She said, yeah, exactly. How did you know? Your sister just told me that just a minute ago. You know, the more that you become friends with somebody, the more that you talk like them, the more that you, you begin to say the same things, you read each other's minds. This is what Jesus is all about. He wants to become friends with us. And so he invites Zacchaeus. He says, I'm coming home to your house. We're going to become friends. We're going to spend time together. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to hear you. We're going to share some experiences together and we're going to become friends. You can boil religion down to being that simple and all the doctrines, all the things that we know come to knowing Jesus who is the truth. And everything that we understand 
has to build upon that and has to feed that and ex- expand our love for Jesus. And if it doesn't, then we've got to re-explore it. And we've got to say, what am I missing here? Because that's what, it all, what it's all about. It's all about Jesus. So verse 6 goes on to say this. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. He's so excited about it. Verse 7. But when they saw it, that's the crowd around him. They're always causing problems. And this is especially the Pharisees. They all complained saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Jesus, do you know who this guy is? Jesus knew. I love what it says in um, Desire of Ages. Chapter uh, page 554, the chapter on Zacchaeus, it says, Zacchaeus had been overwhelmed, amazed, and silenced at the love and condescension of Christ in stooping to him so unworthy. He's there in shell shock. He's just, he's joyful. He's shocked at the love that Jesus has shown him. And as he's there just thinking about that, suddenly he hears these people saying this. And having had that love impact his heart, This is his response. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood. (laughs) He's standing up for his friend. He's got a friend. He's going to the house together. He stands up. And it's so much easier to stand for Jesus when you recognize that he's your friend. That he stands at the door of your heart knocking, wanting to come in. He wants to be friends. And so he stands. And look at what he does. He says, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore four times as much. Okay, so I'm no financier, but, but let's think about this. Let's say, let's say he made $100,000 and he had $100,000 uh, from, from, from his, his, his experience as a tax collector. And we know that the majority of that came from cheating people. That's how they would become so wealthy. So, he gives away how much of $100,000? How much? Of one hundred, he gives half of it away, right? Okay, $50,000. Okay? So, he gives away $50,000. And then he says, if I've cheated anybody, I'm giving away four times that much. Uh, yeah, maybe two hundred. I mean, he's basically saying... Jesus, I'm walking away from it all. And it's going to the poor. It's going to benefit and make other people's lives better. When you fall in love with Jesus, the first impulse of your heart is to give and make other lives better. And for him, it was no big thing. What the rich young ruler said, he walked away sad because of he, he didn't recognize the friend that Jesus would be to him. He held on to his riches. Zacchaeus just did, without even being asked, what the rich young ruler refused to do when Jesus asked. He just gave it all away. That's extravagant love that we see there. And then Jesus goes on to say this. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus. And the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the business of Jesus. He's not come for you if you're not lost. So this this evening, I hope that you realize that you better recognize your lostness. And if you see that, you can know that Jesus came to be friends with you. Amen. Jesus has come to seek and to save that 
which was lost. Chief tax collector, too short, rich, the crowd blocking his view. But notice what he said to him. He said, he also is a son of Abraham. Now, when you think about being a child of Abraham, what comes to mind? A lot of times we think of like, hey, living this super faithful life, being willing to sacrifice all, doing really amazing things in our experience. And and Abraham is one of the characters besides Moses and David in the New Testament that are just referred to again and again and again as the father of the faithful. The whole story of the Bible is based on that promise that was given to Abraham and then it tracks his people throughout history. The, The Bible is about the promises that were made to Abraham. And those being fulfilled. So, being a child of Abraham sounds like really big things. I mean, Abraham is like this high status person in the Bible. This father of faith. And just look at a verse in Romans chapter 4 verse 12. It says, And the father of circumcision, that's Abraham, to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Right? So he's saying, and we're not going to get into the complicated thing, but he's basically saying he's, he's, a, he's a father to everybody who walks in the steps of Abraham. So what were the steps of Abraham? Here you have Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is called the son of Abraham. What were the steps of Abraham? And we're just going to look here really fast at some of them, right? Let's look at some of the steps that he took. So the numbers are cut off there. But number one, in Genesis chapter 12, after he's been promised that he's going to be a blessing to the nations, that he's going to have children that outnumber a large number of children, he flees to Egypt. This is the guy that was called out of Ur, which is where Babylon is. He's called out of Babylon, called to the promised land. When a famine comes, not directed by God, he flees to Egypt. Not directed to go there. And then he gets there, and when he's there, he lies to Pharaoh about his wife, Sarah. Right? So these are some of the steps that Abraham took. Then let's keep going. Uh, Number three. uh, In Genesis chapter 15, after he's been promised this amazing promise by God, he says, well, what are you going to give me? Eliezer's the only heir of my house. God's been promising him again and again, you're going to have nations come from you. Kings are going to come from you. And he's like, yeah, all I've got is this servant. Good job you're doing, God. Right? Then verse number four, in Genesis chapter 16, he listens to Sarai who says, look, you're going to need to accomplish God's work for him in another way. You're going to need to accomplish God's promise for him. And I do that a lot, I'll be honest. I mean, there's so many times where I'm like, okay, God promised that I'm going to... And so I, I begin to try to figure out how to work it out on my own. And we've got a real problem with trying to work out our salvation rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so he goes into Hagar and makes that mistake in Genesis chapter 16. Number five, uh, Genesis chapter 17, he laughs at God's promise when God comes to tell him again, no, 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 look, Sarai is going to have your son. And he laughs at God. And then he says to God, no, how about Ishmael be the one? (laughs) That's the steps that he took, right? And then the final one we're going to look at here, number seven. Whoops, sorry. Whoops. Go back one. Here we go. Number seven. 
he lies to the Philistines about Sarah again. Some, I think it was like 20, 30 years later. And he, and he tells the Philistines, well, I've just been doing this all the time, all along. He had made it his practice to lie to all the people about who Sarah was as his sister. And this is Abraham, the father of faith. And friends, this is good news for you and I tonight. Now, I could bring out a whole lot of good points about Abraham's life. He was a very faithful figure in Scripture. But, but tonight, I just want you to know that the faithful people of the Bible had failings and problems and sin in their life like you and I do. And how does God look at a person who has failings and failures and problems like Abraham? Well, if we're looking to walk, Jesus is looking at you as a, a newborn baby. I think about my own little girls. This was uh, on February 2. We, we took our little girls. They had, they had started to get to the place where we could, we could take them and we could set them down and they would just stand there. And the night before, somebody had said, hey, this is going to be the week. They're going to walk. So I got home from a work bee. We're starting this community farm. And, and I got home from the work bee and, and I walk into the living room and I was, hey, Leah, Get out the camera. Let's see if the girls will walk. And so, I set Abby there first. And this is... (laughs) 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 The first ever steps that Abby took. Right? Okay, now, then, immediately after that, we set Olivia there. Okay, and this is Olivia. (laughs) Whoa, 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 good job. And then when she fell down, and when Abby fell down, you know what I did? I went over to her and I said, what is wrong with you? You took two steps and you fell down. I do not understand why you're falling, little baby. And now you're all looking at me like, okay, we're reporting him to CPS, right? (laughs) This guy's got serious issues. I was thrilled that my daughter took two steps and I didn't even think about the fact that she fell. God is your cheerleader. He's trying to get you to take a few more steps. He's he's wanting to empower you to walk a little bit further with Him, to, to take a few more steps and He's cheering you on and you're focused on the fact that you fell. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. And that's why we need to focus on Jesus. We need to pick up our Bible and read it and focus on His promises rather than our failures. Every one of the failures that Abraham made was because he was focused on what he couldn't do or what he was wanting to protect himself from. It was all about him. And if we focus on ourselves, it's a downward path. But if we focus on Jesus, we're going to keep walking further and further and further. Now, I love this. Abraham was called a friend of God two times in the Bible, one of the, in the Old Testament. One of the times in the Old Testament, look at this, Isaiah chapter 41, and it's even better than watching your own children walk, because this is what Jesus says he wants to do for you. Verse 8 says, But you, Israel, are my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendant of Abraham, what does it say? My friend. Okay, so, so Abraham is my friend, and you're descendants of him. And look at what God does for his friends and his friends' descendants. Watch this, verse 10. 
Fear not. Oh, sorry. For I am with you. Amen. <laughs> I'm with you. Friends are together. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I want to be your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is the God that we serve. He says, you're my friend, and this is what I do for friends. I strengthen them, I uphold them, I stay with them, and I hold them by the hand. I don't even stand on the other side of the living room cheering you on. I'm right there holding you up. And that's what friends do. They hold hands as they walk together through life. So Abraham had a lot of failures that he tended to focus on and that I tend to focus on in my life is my own failures. Steps to Christ, page 71, says this, When the mind dwells upon self, it is turned away from Christ, the source of strength and life. To illustrate this, I I need a, a couple volunteers to come up here. Okay, let's have three volunteers. How about our, our three young people that, that we already embarrassed by having them sing, right? <laughs> you guys want to, can you come up here and help me out? They're like, oh man, we're never coming back, this guy. <laughs> and what was it? No cup tonight, no, don't worry. It was worse the other night. <laughs> Nobody's going to be spitting tonight, all right? <laughs> all right. So what we're going to have you do is, we're going to see how well you can balance this. But what I want you to do is to look at your finger, all right? So put your finger out, stare at your finger, and everybody get ready to count, okay? Set, count. See how long you can do it. Oh, man, you're not too good at balancing and brute. I'm sorry, I won't embarrass you. Okay, you guys ready? You ready to count how long she can balance this? She's looking at her finger. Oh, one, Okay. <laughs> All right, you ready? Look real, real hard at your finger. Ready, set, go. One, two. Whoa, that was pretty good. She, she learned from watching them, I think. All right. All right, so now what we're going to have you do is to look at the top of the broom. You ready? Look at the top of the broom. Top of the broom. Oh, okay. All the way up there. Are you ready? No. Now we're going to count. One, Wow! All right, so that was like a long time. All right, you ready? Looking at the very top of the broom. Very top. I gave her a bad start, and she's still doing good. (laughs) And you looked away from the top, and you were still doing it. All right, you ready? Look at the top. Look at the top. You got the top? One, two, three, four, five. All right, thank you. You can go back. Thank you. You see the difference? You're looking at yourself. You're looking at your own finger. How hard was it, guys? Super hard when you're looking at your own finger. You look up. And you just keep looking up. You keep looking up. And it gets easier and easier and easier to walk. We've just got to look up. Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. Zacchaeus was looking up. And this is what this says, Steps to Christ, page 71. When the mind dwells upon self, that's, that's me, what I can accomplish, whether I'm living the life right, whether I'm accomplishing what Jesus asked me to, whether I'm living up to the standards or not. When it's focused upon self, it is turned away from Christ, who is the source of strength in life. Right. So if you're not focused on Him, you're going to be weak. You're going to stumble and fall. 
Hence, it is Satan's constant effort to keep the attention diverted from the Savior and thus prevent the union and communion of the soul with Christ. Satan's constantly attacking. And we talk about his attacks. His main attack is to try to keep you from looking at Jesus. He doesn't want you to have friendship with Jesus. He doesn't want the union and communion of your soul with Jesus. He doesn't want you and Jesus to be friends. If you don't want somebody to be friends, just cut off their communication. Don't let them spend time together. Don't let them have shared experiences together. Don't let them hear each other. And you're, not, you're going to be able to keep them from being friends. Then look at this. The, he li- she lists the things here. The pleasures of the world. Right. So distractions can be the pleasures of the world. They can keep us from focusing on Jesus. There's just a lot of stuff going on in life. And if we don't block out time for friendship with Jesus. I mean, you think about it. We're staying in an Airbnb. There's a TV right there on the wall. And at home, we don't even have, we don't have a TV. And I'm just thinking about, you know, the, the common thing is you'd walk in the room, you'd start playing that right away. What if we listen to Jesus as much as we listen to our media? Would we be better friends with Jesus? I think so, right? So the pleasures of the world, but not just that. Life's cares and perplexities and sorrows. If we're just focused on all the issues and the hard times in our life, if we're focused on those things alone, we can be distracted from Jesus. The faults of others. Right? Look at that person. Why are they doing that? Tearing each other down, criticizing each other. And then look at this. And imperfections. And your own faults and imperfections. Satan doesn't care what it is, but if if it's just the fact that you're not measuring up, that you're not being a good Christian, he'll get you distracted by that, and you'll probably become critical of others in the process. But he'll do whatever it takes in order to distract you from looking at Jesus. So continue on. Do not be misled by his devices. Many who are really conscientious and who desire to live for God, he too often leads to dwell upon their own faults and weaknesses. Right? Really conscientious people are just focused on the fact that they're not living up to the standards. And thus, by separating them from Christ, he hopes to gain the victory. We should not make self the center and indulge anxiety and fear as to whether we shall be saved. All this turns the soul away from the source of our strength. We don't need to stress about our salvation. What we need to do is focus on Jesus. Yes, Open our hearts to Him. Confess our sins to Him. Don't hold anything back from Him. But don't stress about whether you're saved or not. Because if you have the Son, you have life. If you're friends with Jesus, you you can count on it that you will be saved. Commit the keeping of your soul to God. Trust in Him. Talk and think of Jesus. Talk and think of Jesus. Open your Bible to think about Him and talk to Him in prayer and talk to everybody else in the world about Him and it will change your life. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16 says, For a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumbles in times of calamity. We saw last night that Mary Magdalene had a demon cast out of her seven different times. She fell seven different times and Jesus went after her cast that demon out of her and lifted her up again. And we've seen here with Abraham, he had at least seven different failings and fallings. The righteous man falls seven times and rises again. But Abraham, what we're told is what's repeated again and again about him, that Abraham believed God 
and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed his promises. He kept falling, but those fallings got fewer and further between. He kept walking further with Jesus because he was trusting and believing in the promiser. Promise made and promise kept. That is what the Bible is all about. And Jesus is the one that keeps the promise. So a day or two later, put, I, I was just sitting at the table actually and, and I, I noticed that Livy was starting to walk. So I pulled out my phone real quick to catch her as she was walking. Let's see if this is delayed. This is Olivia. Righteous man falls seven times and rises again. And Jesus is there cheering you on every step that you take. He says, there's one more. There's one more. There's one more. Just let me lift you back up again. Let me lift you back up again. Just keep on walking in my strength. The righteous man may fall seven times but rises again. The difference between the righteous and the wicked is whether they get back up in Jesus' strength. We've got to stop focusing. I've got to stop focusing on my failures and start focusing on Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can see me through. Last verses we're going to look at here. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6. Talking about this whole circumcision issue. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, let's just, let's just simple, simplify this a little bit. For in Christ Jesus, and for us today, circumcision isn't the issue, but there's a whole lot of other things that are the issue to us. For in Christ Jesus, nothing, that's nothing that you can do. Absolutely nothing avails anything, right? Nothing avails anything but faith. And then the word is working, which is energeo in the Greek. Does that sound like a word to you? Energy. Faith energized by love. When you fall in love with somebody, you are energized in your trust, your belief that they will fulfill their promises to you. The more you love them, the more that you'll be energetic about your faith and belief and trust in them. Fear not. For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I remember when Leah and I sat down for our first relationship talk, when we ended up deciding to be boyfriend and girlfriend. As we were talking about it, what this was going to mean, what all it would entail, she said something to me that meant a lot to me. She said, look, you know, I'm not a big person that's worried about the gifts that you give me. I'm not somebody that's, that's worried about how romantic you are. But one thing that really matters to me is that we spend a lot of time together. Amen. We have a hashtag now. It's hashtag better together. Life really is better together. Friendship happens together. And friends, I just want to challenge you. Live life together with Jesus. Hallelujah. Take time listening to Him by reading the Gospels, reading the whole Bible which reveals Jesus. Take time talking to Him as your friend. Throughout the day, open your heart to Him as to a friend, like Sepster Christ says. And then, 
tell everybody about your friend, how awesome he is. And this world is going to be transformed.